Man, through the internet, you could be any place in the world right now, and I am so glad you've joined us. Hey, what can I say? We're family. <laughs> Remember the old joke? You can pick and choose your friends, but you stuck with your family. <laughs> On the other hand, family's the best, man. Sometimes the, you know, it's the biggest challenge, but it's also the, the, the biggest joy. And I promise you, if you hang in there right now, it's gonna be good. I like today's title. I'm calling today's message from Psalm 137 and then from Jeremiah 29. I can't like this. And I've got to give total credit to my grandson, Ian. He's my oldest grandkid. And when he was really little, and uh, obviously he was talking already, he was still pretty small. Rather than saying, I don't like something, for some reason he would go, I can't. So I remember one time he came back, I think it was from church, and had a kid he met in church. He goes, I just can't like that guy. Or if he would eat something, he goes, I just can't like that. I just And Margaret, Margaret and I to this day, we will sometimes tease about that. I just can't like you, or I just can't like that. Uh, I've called today's message, I can't like that. You know, the truth is, it's not so much that you can't, it's that we don't want to. I, I could even call this message, uh, my son Dan, when uh, he doesn't like food, he'll go, ooh, that's, that's disgusting. Some of you might all say, that's nasty, that's gross. Well, it's not so much that it's nasty or gross in the sense that it's gonna kill you if you eat it. It's been poisoned or it's been made with, uh, you know, people that didn't wash their hands in the food preparation. It's just you don't like it. That's the truth. It's not that you can't like it, you don't like it. So we're going to read right now Psalm 137. In fact, let me read the Psalm right now. Psalm 137. It's only nine verses. I'll read it to you. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captives asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter, Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Whoa, what a verse to close on. I told you, by the way, in the series on Psalms that some of the Psalms uh, have elements, or the whole psalm is what's called an imprecatory psalm. In other words, it's a psalm in which the writer of it is invoking judgment, calamity, and almost curses up, up, upon the enemies of, of God's people. They're not pretty, and they're not almost ever expressing God's heart, but they are true. I mean, how many of us could, could really blame Holocaust survivors? that might say about their Nazi tormentors and uh, torturers, hey, may the same happen to you. Or maybe someone that's been a victim of a very horrendous crime saying that in, in response. Uh, those are what's called the imprecatory psalms when it says stuff like that. But you know, behind every psalm that I just read to you is a story. And the story very often brings illumination as to why what was said 
is said and why the people are singing it. The, the, the background can very often help us with the breakdown. So what's happened in this Psalm is that the people of Israel have uh, been defeated by King Nebuchadnezzar and, ba and Babylon, the great nation of Babylon. In fact, they came in and they just destroyed in 586-87 BC. They destroyed the city and especially destroyed the temple. It was more than humiliation. They just wiped everything else. Back in those days, you can imagine the kind of atrocities that would happen in wartime. I'm not saying they don't happen in today's wars, but it was even worse back then. What would happen to women and children and all of that, which is why the writer here is saying, right back at you, buddy. <laughs> Imprecatory subs are almost kind of like God's people giving the finger back at someone. And uh, well, you did it to us, so we're gonna do it, do it back to you. Now, when this happened, about 25% of the elite were taken out of uh, Judah and out of Jerusalem to go and serve in Babylon. Uh, you remember some of them. This is when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of the best young men and young women were taking, as foreign conquerors would often do, you know, take the bounty, take the people to serve. And now the people are in captivity in Babylon, which from one perspective was an incredibly fabulous nation. One of the one, seven wonders of the ancient world was the hanging gardens of Babylon. It was incredible. It'd be like you lived out in the sticks and now you've been taken to the glamour and the lights and the money and, and the prestige of Las Vegas. And I said Las Vegas there on purpose because Babylon to this day is also synonymous with not just depravity, but incredible de depravity. This message is kind of timely because I saw just the other day, early next year is coming out a brand new movie just called Babylon. It's starring Brad Pitt, Margot uh, Robbie, and I'll just read to you of, of how they describe their movie that's just called Babylon. It says, a tale, I quote now, a tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess. Babylon traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in early Hollywood. By the way, Hollywood, does, does that mean that you're no longer depraved? Uh, just, just a question, just a thought. But, but you know what I'm talking about, Babylon. So think about this. These people are taken from, it's like being taken from a, from a little church Christian city to this incredibly wealthy, expensive, but also totally morally depraved beyond reason place called Babylon. And that's why you, you, you find this psalm. They're going, we sat down by the rivers of Babylon and we just wept when we remembered Zion, remembered Jerusalem. And then the local residents, all the wealthy people, they said to him, hey, sing us some of that gospel music. We like your church songs. They're not about to be church people and they're not very spiritual at all, but they kind of like that music. That still goes on today. You know, uh, things like that can, can hit us today. Now, the, res the, the, the response of the captives wasn't simply defiance. Now, we don't want to. Uh, and it wasn't even a lack of desire. Some of it may have been, it just, it just didn't seem appropriate to them. Uh, to uh, you know, be singing this kind of music in that particular setting. It'd be like if you're on a movie set 
and you know they say, hey, sing that Christian, sing that church song. I have to admit, my first thought would be, okay, maybe, but why do you want me to sing this? Are you just going to mock Christians? Am I going to sing? You're going to make fun of me? No, 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 no. We really like the music, and sometimes the world. They don't want our faith, they don't want our beliefs, but they want some of our music. I'll never forget when my friend, a lot of you know him, he's been at our church several times, the great uh, preacher from Wales, Ray Bevan. He, he, he has several incredible stories, but one of my I've never forgotten is that Ray, back in the 1960s, he's older than me, was his rock group was actually signed by George Martin, who was the driving force behind the Beatles, by the way. So, you know, Ray could have been a big rock and roll song. And to this day, he's still a great singer. Well, obviously didn't happen, but Ray and his brothers had this group. His, his brothers took a different track and Ray became a preacher. And for the rest of their lives, Ray's brothers just kind of, you know, were rock and rollers who never made it. And Ray was a preacher. Towards the end of one of his brother's life, his brother, he wanted to go visit his brother, but his brother ran a bar in Thailand. And you can imagine Think of Babylon. Think of all the stuff that went on in that bar in Babylon. It wasn't just a bar. It was a red light place with the Thai girls. There was drugs. I mean, it, it was Babylon. But Ray went there because he wanted to visit his brother. And Ray's just this kind of personality anyway because they had mute, live music all the time and they would want, want him to sing. And Ray can still sing. He's an old rock and roller. So we, he sung at our church. He can get up, he can sing, you know, have I told you lately that I love you? And maybe more, he loves Mustang. Sally, I keep trying to get him to sing. He can kill the old song Stand By Me and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, he, he's just great at it. So Ray said he would get up there and they said he said they loved me there. He would get up there and he'd sing every single night and all the girls loved it. And he said the part they especially loved, he would always slip into the set, kind of like we read about in this psalm, he would slip in a Christian song here and there. Amazing Grace, you know, something like that. And he said it never failed every night when he would sing Amazing Grace. He'd look out and a few of these girls would have tears coming down their cheeks and they loved it and they requested it. Maybe that's why the, oh, before I forget, I got to tell you one more thing about that story. When he was about ready to come home, I think he spent two weeks there. When he was getting ready to come back, he said one of the guys that was there every week called him over and said, hey, he said, I've been watching you. Ray goes, well, good. He said, I like your music. He says, but I've been watching you. He says, this whole time, you've never taken any drugs. You're not getting plastered. You're not taking advantage of any of the girls that are here, even though because you sang, they'd offer you whatever you want by way of drugs or girls or whatever. So you didn't do any of that. And he asked him why. So Ray said he was able to use this as a chance to share with this guy about his faith, found out that this guy was one of the biggest uh, drug dealers in all of Europe. And part of his job, he would go there to Thailand. I don't know what they would do there, make business deals or whatever they do in that business. And again, Ray actually ended up leading that guy to the Lord, doing nothing more than just being him in the midst of Babylon. Oh, I don't know why I'm talking like this right now, but not all of you, but there are some of you that kind of feel like, what in the heck has happened to California? Well, whatever's happened, I promise you this, California ain't no Babylon yet. And if God's people could prosper then in Babylon, we can also prosper now 
in our own Babylon. In fact, let me ask you a question. When the people went to Babylon, did they take God with them there? Or was God already there? This would be fun if this were a class. I could take a time and I'll have discussions about this. It'd be a good debate subject. God would never be in a place like Babylon. Maybe. Maybe he's not in Babylon the same way he's in Jerusalem. But I'm not so sure that God wasn't there until God's people brought him there. So yeah, we need to take our faith with us. But I think we need to be surprised. Sometimes we would be surprised, I should say, at the fact that places we've never been people that we've never been around. It's not that God's never been there just because we've never been there. Now, with all this in mind, they go, we don't want to sing that song. In fact, this psalm closes with saying, I pray that you get it stuck to your back, Babylon. I pray that your babies have their heads bashed against the wall. <laughs> That's mild. That's harsh, man. That, that is harsh. Let me read to you what then takes place to a word to the same people that is given by the prophet Jeremiah. Now, before I read this quick passage here in Jeremiah 29, which will have a couple of verses that a lot of you will know, what's happened is that before uh, Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians, Jeremiah had already told them, repent, people, repent, 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 or you're going to be judged. People wouldn't want wouldn't to repent. Then towards the end, Jeremiah began to say, okay, get prepared to be taken away, and you should submit to the invaders because they're going to beat you. But other prophets would prophesy in the name of the Lord and tell the people what they want to hear. Uh, they would, it'd be like if a Monday night of the revival. You'd have some guy come in. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 27, the guy's named Hananiah. He's a prophet. He says, no, nah, man, God's going to deliver us. God's going to keep us safe. Other false prophets, once they were in captivity, the prophets would say, don't worry, man. Babylon's going to break down. God's going to judge him, and we're going to be delivered. We're not going to be here very long, maybe a few weeks, a few months, at the most two years. This is what they were prophesying, exactly what the people wanted to hear. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice that God says, I, I carried them. You mean God caused it? Hmm. He at least allowed it. I, I may address that later. In case I forget to address that later, God didn't want them to be taken into captivity. But once they were, he said, okay, I'll take responsibility. I carried you there. But what about if God carrying him there isn't just about his judgment, it's also about his protection? You ever say, well, who sent me? Did God make me go to rehab? Well, no, probably wasn't God's best for your life. But if you love Jesus, maybe God can carry you there and protect you, hold you in his hand. When you go through that divorce, that wasn't God's best, but he'll carry you through that divorce. Uh, whatever it might be, I mean, but whatever it is. Anyway, he says back to the text, verse 4, God says to those he carried into exile, here's what he tells them. He doesn't say, don't worry, you're going to be out of here in no time. Uh-uh. <laughs> he says this, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too can have sons and daughters. Increase there. Do not decrease. Also, this is amazing because in the book of Psalms, they said that they gave the finger to the Babylonians. We pray it gets worse. The same thing you did to us, may it come back upon you and worse. Here's what God says to do. Also, seek the peace and prosperity 
of the city to which I have carried you into exile. I mean, we're supposed to pray for California? We're supposed to pray that, you know, the businesses might start to work well here? He says, pray. He says, pray for them. And then he says this, pray to the Lord for it. This makes sense. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. If even those you don't like, maybe your enemies in a lot of different ways. But if, if you're, you may hate your boss, hate your company, but you pray for it, if it prospers, you'll prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Those that are declaring what you want to hear say, now don't worry, God's going to deliver us, get us out of here right away. He says, don't listen to the dreams uh, uh, that you encourage him to have. <laughs> he said, you people make him prophesy like that because you want it to taste good. What I'm saying, I can't like that. Ooh, this dish, you ever have a dish? Ooh, that's disgusting. That's nasty. And you push it away. What Jeremiah is saying is in the long run better, but right, ooh, you want to push it away. He says, they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord does say. When 70 years, so it's not going to be a few weeks, a few months, or maybe up to two years. Not 70 years, Jeremiah says. You're going to be here a while. 70 years are completed for Babylon. Then I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, their homeland, Jerusalem. Then here comes the verse we all know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Isn't it amazing that that verse we used to encourage people to the original audience at first kind of came across 70 years? I mean, we don't get dessert now? We don't get delivered now? What, 70 years? What are you supposed to do in the meantime? Build, plant, marry, establish, increase, multiply. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. By the way, we got to be careful who we're going to listen to. Paul, in his last letter, before he, he's going to die, says this, and almost, in fact, this may be the last chapter. I think 2 Timothy 4, unless there's a chapter 5, I forget, is the last chapter. Paul told Timothy, who was like his spiritual son, he was a local church leader. We'd call him a pastor or a minister today. Look what Paul says to Timothy. It's a charge I have and have had all these decades. It's a charge Pastor Dan has. It's a charge that anyone who's in key leadership has. Paul tells Timothy, the pastor, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Not only when Christianity is popular and churches are growing, but when Christianity is unpopular and on the outs and churches don't seem to be growing. Be faithful in season and out of season. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. <laughs> That's hard as a pastor sometimes. I love to correct, rebuke. God, yeah, yeah, but Jim, do it with patience. Don't forget how I am with you. If I treat you this, this grace and patience, then you turn out, you better treat others with grace and patience. Careful instruction. He says, now here's why I read it though. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. So there's going to come a time where people don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear what the Bible really says. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them. And by the way, this is happening right now. Now, whether or not this is the end of time happening, I don't know. But this is happening right now. It says, 
they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. The people then wanted to hear, you won't be here in Babylon very long. Don't worry about it. We're getting rid. God's going to deliver us. He's going to break the yoke. And, and even by old news, that was a reasonable thing to think because I know most of us don't know history, but at this particular time, Egypt was rising in power, and there was a lot of talk on the street that Egypt was going to come in and destroy the Babylonians, so people held out hope. Well, maybe when Egypt comes in, but God's saying, oh, ain't going to happen. You're going to be here a while. People today, um, there, there are churches arising, or so-called churches, and groups of spiritual people who are simply being told what they want to hear. Just be better at whatever you want to be. Live however you want to be. And it's like, it's not the truth. It's just telling people, and people will go to a group, a gathering, that tells them what they want to hear. I better finish this text. Paul says, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Sadly, I can think of and picture right now several people who I love dearly and God loves dearly and Jesus loves dearly. I'm praying they come back, but I've seen them in these last few years with the pressure of what's happened in culture. Walk away from the Lord, walk away from, some have even walked away from any faith at all in God. Some just redefined God to suit their own taste. Some might even try to redefine Jesus to suit their own taste. In other words, they make God in their image. <laughs> they make a God that they'd like to serve. But anyway, so to give some substance to this before I'm done, I, I got just a couple minutes left here. Let me kind of summarize what God is saying to the people here in Jeremiah, because they, they've cried out. We don't want to sing gospel music by the rivers of Babylon. We hate our captives. We hate this. We know it's a great. We know Vegas is great, man. Look at all this. But this isn't us. This isn't who we are. Get us the you know what out of here. But God's word, bottom line, is hey, no, you keep living and take responsibility. Very often as Christians, we have to embrace the in-between time. Let me say that again. We have to embrace the in-between time. Let me clarify between every promise of God and the provision of that promise. In other words, the promise actually happens. It comes to fruition. Every single time, there's a period between that that I like to call the problem, you know, the, the challenge, whatever, between promise and provision is a problem. It's the in-between time. Between our expectation, what we think should happen, and the actual experience of having it happen, is the in-between time, and we don't like that. I can't like that. I like the end result, but I, I can't like that answer. It's like saying, I want to be healthy. Okay, eat this for a while. And you just say, mm, that's nasty. That's disgusting. That's gross. I can't like that. And you push it. I, I can't like this wife. You know, I, I, can't, I can't like this job and push it back. I, I can't. Very often we are in the in-between time and, 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 and we just got to hang in there and do what God says. No wonder James, in the book of James chapter 1, he says, count it all joy when you face various trials. That's hard. I agree with Ian. I can't like that. Why can't, why can't I count it joy when good things are going on and life is relatively smooth and things are easy? But God says through James to count it joy when I'm facing trials. Peter says the same thing. 
He says, you should greatly rejoice when, you're go- when you have to suffer grief. And then he goes on to say why and what that, did. by the way, both of them say, because going through the in-between process is what produces something in us. It's like gold being refined and purified. It's like if you were making a sword back in the day, and I'm not a metalsmith or whatever you call them, but they had to you know, shape it and then you had to, you had to plunge that into that. Ooh, you know, this, it, it, that fiery part's not fun, but the end result is a solid sword. Um, Paul says the same thing as James and Peter. Paul says, for these light and momentary troubles are but a a foreshadowing of the greatness that is to come. (laughs) And sometimes those light and momentary troubles seem absolutely devastating. We can struggle during that tension. I know, man, it's, I'm the same as you. This is a, I'm not going to say it's an easy message to preach. In fact, in some ways, it's kind of a tough message to preach. Having said that, it's easier to preach it than to live it. It's easier for me to tell you and, in a sense, to tell myself, hey, man, you got to hang in there in the in-between times between the promise and the provision. But it is, it is tough to do. I like how, how God told them to just keep expanding. Uh, A lot of Bible scholars will draw a parallel line between what God told them in Babylon and between what God told Adam and Eve in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply and and be good stewards of the planet. That's that's there in the Hebrew, by the way. God was the original ecologist. He said, Adam and Eve, you should be good stewards of the the planet and, and of the resources that I have put there. And then in the garden, that's fun in the garden. When life is good, that's fun. You might tell you when it's not fun. When you're in Babylon, when your own personal life is kind of struggling and the culture you're in seems to be nasty. I mean, not just kind of nasty. Remember, remember that thing I read from the movie Babylon? What was it? Unbridled depravity. Not just depravity, unbridled depravity with no checks and balances. And God says, hey, build there, be multi. And by the way, he says, as long as you're going to be there, don't decrease, increase. You know what that makes you think of? When Israel earlier in their history, through Joseph, had got carried away into slavery in Egypt, they began to multiply and multiply and multiply to the point where the Egyptians got worried that there was going to be too many of them, which is why they began to kill the oldest boys. That's why Moses had to be saved, because all the oldest boys were being killed because the Egyptians were fearful that their own captives, the people they were oppressing and subduing, were growing too fast. Oh, I'm a, I'm t- I have a word for someone right now. I know things are rough. It's in the middle of Babylon, but God wants you to increase and grow. It'll drive your captives crazy. <laughs> It'll drive your enemies crazy. Uh, it, it, God could do it any place. Even Psalm 23, he, he says, remember that? I said, I'm with you when you lie down in green pastures. Okay, cool. But before that psalm is over, he's also with us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God takes responsibility. Why don't you take some responsibility? Remember, God says, I led you out of Jerusalem here to Babylon. Now, again, I don't think God caused it. It wasn't God's best. But as long as God's going to use this to correct us, he'll take us, he'll protect us, and and he'll guide us, and he'll do the same thing for you. So take some responsibility. Stop playing the blame game. Keep building. Keep growing. Keep multiplying. Pretty much done, but let me just give you one more quick word. 
Remember that passage we read that is the one we are so aware of, for I know the plans, I don't need this, for I know the plans I have for you to prosper and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. I want to leave you with this thought. I think it's really cool that the Hebrew word therefore, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. The word therefore prosper is a Hebrew word that almost all of you know, even if you don't know any Hebrew. It is the Hebrew word shalom. God says, I have, because to the, to the Hebrews then, shalom didn't just mean like, a, it's like a peaceful feeling or lack of conflict or lack of war. To them, shalom means, you know, may you prosper, kind of like from Star Trek. Was it live long and prosper? I don't know if the thumb was out or like that. Trekkies, I know, are going to correct me. Sorry, I don't know which one it is. But that's kind of what, what shalom means. Shalom means on that. I want to say to you that you and God us and God, I'm not sure that's good English, we have the same uh, intentions. We're going to get, but we just have different timelines and different ways of getting there, which is why we sometimes don't like it. And I know, remember the old trite saying, um, delay is not denial. And that's true. They say, well, just when you pray, delay is not denial. But I still can't like that. It's nasty. I want to push it away. You don't believe me? look at me in an airport when my flight gets canceled. And I don't even know when the next one's gonna be. And you know, you may not feel like you, uh, you, know, you may not, well, maybe I haven't been denied, I'm gonna get home someday, but it sure feels like it. I wanna challenge a lot of you right now, when it seems nasty, when it seems like it's disgusting because you want to be out right now, you want it to be good right now, you don't have to go through a 70 year process to get there or a seven day, you know, you know, let me say it like this, eat your vegetables anyway. Do what God says because his plans are to prosper, shalom and not to harm you, to grant you that peace. The best way to do that, and I, the prophet Isaiah, he prophesied, he said, I, he said, God says, I will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on thee, if you keep looking to Jesus. That's my prayer for you today. I know some of you are going through tough times in a tough land, and it feels like you live in the middle of Babylon, but I promise you God will never leave you and never forsake you. Not only don't quit, do the opposite. Build, grow, increase, multiply, Take over, and the day will come when God will grant you the desires of your heart and victory will come your way.